Outside, should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, this episode of Ask uh, Alan. I'm Alan Crone, the CEO of the Crone Law Firm, and we're here today with uh, Kara Greenstein, who is the uh, who's the operator of uh, Caramelized. It's not caramelized; it's caramelized. Make sure you say it right. <laughs> and uh, but, Kara, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I really appreciate being invited. Thank you for virtually having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, and. Uh, I'm sure the uh, our listeners uh, and uh, viewers are going to be really interested in your in your blog. And before we get to that, um, just uh, I always like to talk about kind of how you got where you are. Um, sure. I understand you you grew up here in Memphis. I did. Yes, born and raised in Memphis. Loved every minute of it, and uh, I went to St. Mary's first through twelfth grade and was very, uh, I am very grateful for that education and community um, built there. And then also was super involved in the Jewish community growing up as the rabbi's daughter. So I felt like I was fortunate to kind of get meshed in different areas of town just as a kid. And then from there, I wanted a very different experience for college just to challenge my comfort zone. So I attended the University of Texas at Austin, oh. which was a much larger class size than the St. Mary's all girls experience. <laughs> but I loved every minute of it as well. Did you feel any pressure um, to, to go to more of a, uh, I don't know, a Northeastern or Ivy League uh, kind of school coming out of St. Mary's? That's a good question. I feel like there's such a diversity among the girls and their paths that it was almost understood that there was going to be representation all over from college choices. And for me, I was looking all over the country, but for larger schools, larger programs, and Austin just blew me away as the perfect mix of a college town and a bustling, now arguably like the next Silicon Valley of a city. And so I was able to get the best of both worlds there and then bring that back here. Well, so I, what I hear you saying is that you were as attracted to the city as almost as much as you were to the university. Yes, I would argue that. Um, I, obviously academics are important to me, but I think in my field with PR and social media, especially it's all about practice in the real world. So I really got to dig into actual internship experience that was pretty incredible um, relating to South by Southwest in Austin, some of the leading original bloggers there. Um, and I kind of got the inside look as a student. And while of course the classes for my PR major were really valuable, it's about how you applied them that really gave you your, I guess, your way. How does how does a high school student 
have an ambition for social media, PR, and marketing in you know in uh, this this time frame. That's a good question because social media was very new at that time. It was still very experimental. I knew that writing was my thing at St. Mary's and that I needed to apply it in some way. Um, and also connecting with people. I love the relationship building. So I knew I wanted to be in front of people, but I will admit that it was my mother who called me one day when I was a senior and said, have you ever heard of PR? And I looked it up and I said, I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> so it wasn't like I had this epiphany. I'm very fortunate to have mentors as parents who could guide me in that way very directly. But um, my eyes were open to a world of that, what that is, storytelling and relationship building and social media, I guess through my college years became more and more of an integral part of that area. And now it's arguably my full-time function. So it's really interesting it, to think about. It's amazing, you know, just in the few, few short years since I graduated from, uh, from college. Of course. School, uh, which hadn't been that long. Uh, ago. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing how more opportunities there are just kind of in society in general for content producers, whether it's blogs, writing, performing, um, you know, uh, all of those kinds of, of things. What do you, what do you think is, what do you think that's going in the future? Is that going to continue? I think so. I think that um, I'm no expert, but what I've observed over the years with Facebook and Instagram and these platforms is where, whereas they were founded to be sources of connection among friends and personal networks, the professionalism that's been added to it, plus the news, plus our environment has made each of us arguably our own content creators. Um, if we want to take it seriously, we can be that and build an audience. And so it's becoming more and more of, I wouldn't even say a trend establishment that like Instagram and Facebook are these personal brand platforms that you can make what you want out of it. Hopefully good, maybe bad, but hopefully, hopefully good. Yeah, we'll see. It's, it's interesting, you know, Facebook has almost become um, stodgy and mainstream. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, when you look at the younger ones and how Facebook isn't even of interest, but from the professional side, it's critical to have a Facebook presence because it's a way to connect with an audience outside of just your customers or um, your initial audience. So what do you, what do you think about Twitch? I will admit I know, I know nothing. Okay, I've got I've got a, uh, a young person very close to me who's trying <laughs> to become a Twitch star. Um, That's amazing. And uh, uh, it's all about well, it's all about live streaming. And okay. uh, I, you know, so I was looking through it, and um, it uh, it's about live streaming. You know, your it seems like pretty mundane stuff. But I've come, I've come to the conclusion that there's an audience for just about anything. That's a good point. And it's about how you engage them. And so uh, for Caramelize, especially when I started it really to just be a blog, which for 
101, a blog is essentially just a website that has an authorship to it. So um, that was the primary, whereas now social media is the primary because it's the driver to my blog. So in terms of how I spend my time, I have to much better balance these audiences and platforms, all the buzzy words. Well, let me ask you this before we move on. Let me ask you this about Austin. Um, you've spent a, a great deal of time in Austin and in Memphis. Um, when I was in the mayor's office, we were always, uh, uh, you know, we would always hear about Austin, the up and coming and was a big competitor for new uh, businesses and so forth. Sure. How would you compare Memphis and Austin? How would I compare them? That's an interesting question because I feel as I'm always asked um, the opposite. So I would argue that I was in Austin at a time, fortunately, when it was still up and coming. I feel like now it's almost hit the saturation point unfortunately for some, but maybe good for others. Um, but as a student, I felt like I had this opportunity to really dig into internships and experience kind of on the ground floor of new ideas. And I feel that very much so about Memphis. And I think that in Memphis, it's much more of a permanent sense that you can connect and invest yourself into different areas and be let in the door um, pretty um, openly. But in Austin, I felt like I could roll up my sleeves and have this unique opportunity as a kid to say, hey, how can I help? How can we do this? And um, it really made me appreciate startups, these, you know, just this entrepreneurial idea that is what I would argue is my blog because it's always changing. Um, but I was interning for a company that unfortunately didn't make it fully off the ground, but I was there at the beginning. It was the idea of a digital business card called Icon. And they launched it South by Southwest and had a big party to launch it. And I wasn't even 21. Um, and the CEO asked if I would go grab the alcohol for the launch party. And he had forgotten that I was not of age to be able to actually do that. So I would say um, at that time, Austin was very much about trying new concepts and ideas and, and really connecting people. Um, I, would, I don't know if that would be the case right now though. And I'm really happy to be in Memphis right now where we are. If you could take a, a feature of Memphis and transplant it into Austin to improve Austin, what would that feature be? It's a great question. A feature as in like an attribute or an actual? Yeah, either one, an attribute or a thing or even a person. Yeah. See, I would say my, my biggest contrast, maybe this is my roundabout way of answering. I've realized that Memphis has roots and history and Austin doesn't have that in the same form or fashion. So whereas Memphis is all about uplifting history and culture and roots and I guess adding to that history and feeling like the next chapter of something much deeper. Austin was just this and is just this like new uh, let's try this tap into that and didn't have the the oomph I'd argue that Memphis had. So I would 
say the culture um, and the history, it's what makes Memphis most compelling to me. And Austin needs more of that. That's a that very interesting answer. I like that answer because I think you I think you're right um, about Memphis. Uh, Memphis has a a great history. Uh, there there are good parts of Memphis history, and obviously there's some there's some dark sure. parts of Memphis history. But I think unlike a lot of places, we tend to mix both into the stew, and um, you know it has a it has a, a richer taste that way. And um, I think there are lots of places that don't hit, hit their history head on and deal with it. Right. Uh, I'll ask you the reverse. What about Austin? Do you think you could transplant to Memphis that would make Memphis better? Okay. This might sound critical, but what I appreciate about Austin is there's such a high standard and quality that you have to have right off the cuff to even be recognized or supported. And I would argue that that adds much value to certain industries, food, retail, really community as a whole. And with Memphis, while we're very approachable and forgiving, and I love that about us, sometimes I wish we came out of the bag with our concepts a bit more baked and tied up because in other places that wouldn't fly. And I would think that, um, you know, when you want to show a high quality product or concept, you've got to give it a hundred percent on day one. So critical, but my thought. All right. No, that's fine. That's great. That's interesting. That's interesting. I don't have to think about that. Um, uh, but so you graduate from the University of Texas. Yeah. Uh, my my son, who went to Arkansas, would be would be very uh, saddened. My to husband hear that. went to Arkansas, so I'm used to that. He he would be very saddened about about <laughs> your your trip to UT. But it's a it is a great school. Um, and did you come back to Memphis immediately, or did you sojourn in the wilderness before you came back? I came right back. I didn't necessarily expect to, but. I will argue I was watching my senior year in Memphis doing cool stuff like the brewery untapped and new kind of innovative stuff downtown. I wanted to see what was happening. Uh, I actually read an op-ed that my now boss Doug Harpenter had written about the Tennessee brewery and so I set up a meeting with him and when I came to South Maine really for the first time since probably uh, attending a FedEx Forum event at some point in college or high school, I realized these similarities to this Austin lifestyle I've had that I could have in Memphis, but with, again, more context and substance. So after debating, I moved back uh, the summer I graduated, but I moved downtown. I was very deliberate about not going back to my childhood neighborhood and having a new perspective of the city so I've lived downtown for six years well I probably shouldn't uh let the moment pass without asking this question and you're probably a little uh tired of talking about this sort of thing uh but how I mean your dad obviously is a very prominent well thought of uh member of the community and that can be a blessing but it can also be a detriment to to be the child of that 
how has that affected your ability to make your own way in, in Memphis? That's a great question. Uh, I'm very appreciative of what my dad does and I am honored to be associated with it. I joke that it's um, becoming, you know, after a couple of years, more and more of my dad saying, your daughter with caramelized, I like seeing it on its head. And we joke about that. And, and it's really interesting to meet people for the first time who don't make that association. And then when they do, it's like, oh, that's really nice. Um, but I'd argue that growing up, you know, being in the public eye in some capacity for at least our Jewish community, which is surprisingly very large for a Southern city, um, I've, I learned people skills and first impressions are so important. And so I, whether I wanted to or not was trained to shake hands and look in the eye and try to remember people after the first time and um, really build a conversation. And I would argue that that has led me to be in the area that I'm in now and why I love Memphis. So um, I love being associated with it. I'm not gonna be a rabbi, but I admire him for his profession. <laughs> I understand, I understand. Well, it's, you know, it's always interesting um, to meet and uh, get to know uh, children of prominent people, uh, because it's it's a it's a hard thing to do to be your own person, but at the same time, as you say, kind of recognize the connection and um, kind of steer into that as opposed to rebelling from it and and running sure. away from the connection um, that some people choose to do, I suppose. Sure. All right, so. Um, Tell me about the blog. Uh, I understand you started it in, did you start it in college? I did. Was it a, was it a, like a project for, for a class? Yes. So I'd be curious what PR writing looks like now in 2020. But when I was there, one of our major projects was to create a private link for, at the time, Google Blogspot was the platform. And we essentially had to practice how to really carry a story from post to post. Um, so we had to submit a brand and fork post that all contributed to that, that theme of the blog. So that's where Caramelized was born. I grew up loving to cook and was kind of known for that in college, even though we were in much smaller apartments with not great kitchen appliances. But that coupled with Austin being such a food city and me visiting restaurants was what I love to do on the weekends and trying them out. So caramelized was restaurants and recipes. And after turning it in for a grade, um, coincidentally, eight years ago this weekend, I decided at Thanksgiving to tell my friends and family about it and make it a public link. Wow. And here we are. So, so you've got something in common with Fred Smith. Really? Please yeah, share. Well, you know, Federal Express was his master's thesis in, in business school. I am honored to be yeah, there. He got in a that C. Way. There he you got go. A C in, in, in business school, but I think he got an A in reality. Nice. Well, I people ask if I passed that. I knew I passed the grade for the blog, but I don't remember what actual grade I got. Oh, I what's grades? What are grades? That's they're artificial, right? Yeah, I agree. Especially now that you're out of school. Um, well, cool. So how, so has that become um, a, um, 
I hate this is going to sound crass and I don't mean to be crass, but I mean, has it become a, a revenue generator or is it just a, a hobby or how does it go from, from, you know, something that's just kind of yours to what it is now? That's a great question. So when I was at school, I was fortunate to intern for a now huge, well, she was huge then, but was one of the original bloggers. Camille Stiles is her name. Hmm. And she really taught me um, indirectly just by me watching how to treat a blog as a business. It, it, it truly is a brand that may not necessarily have a product or service that is traditionally um, handed out. But in this case, by treating it seriously and more than just a diary, um, it can be something really profound. So I was actually interning with her during her cookbook uh, launch. So I saw how a blog could be applied to a different medium, like a hardbound book. Um, but for the state of blogging today, what has been so interesting and how I explain it to just 101 is bloggers are now like walking billboards um, for brands. So essentially, I am paid by brand partners, whether they are stores, products, services, you name it, just as they would pay a magazine to run an advertisement or a billboard to put up a design. They're paying me to share my authentic experience with it through my perspective, my recipe or my uh, table for Thanksgiving. And through that, my audience is learning about their product or brand in an authentic way that is trusted. So that that's how it's revenue generating. Um, I try to balance, I, I love to be organic and real. So the brands I work with, I genuinely use and love, but you know, it, it's nice to be able to make something for the creative you're putting into it. So what's your uh, main audience metric from a business standpoint? That's a good question. Like what sponsors are looking for? Yeah, I mean, if, if somebody's out there and they want to, they like blogging and they'd love to try to turn it into something, yeah. what, what's the metric that that is, is key, at least for you, to monetize a, a blog? So the key is to have engagement. I think that, you know, everyone wants it to be a numbers game. The more followers you have, the cooler you are or more successful you are. But loyalty among a smaller audience goes way further um, for me personally, um, but also for the brand partners I work with. So I have 14,000 followers right now on Instagram. And while I'd love to have 100,000. The research actually shows that my audience is more likely to purchase something I talk about than a much larger base with less engagement. How so, long has it taken you to build? Is it taking you eight years to build to 14,000? I, I guess, though Instagram really wasn't a thing until maybe like six years ago. So yeah, let's say the past six years I've been building that. And um, they're great. I, it's like, I know that they're my friends. It's crazy. I've never met them in person. And I do have to remember that over half of them don't live in Memphis. So I love to be the a Memphis ambassador. I have to remember to balance my content. So it's interesting to everyone. Wow. That's, uh, 
you know, uh, you talk about a, a, a profession or an occupation that, that didn't exist much, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, it, exactly. it really probably didn't exist. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, so, fun, it's one big experiment is what I tell people. So you also work with Doug Carpenter. I do. Now, Carpenter's great. Uh, everybody loves Doug. Um, he's been involved in all kinds of uh, uh, really high profile things and also, uh, you know, run of the mill uh, projects. Uh, what are you doing uh, with Carpenter and Associates? So I am overseeing the PR and social media strategy for our clients. And it's very in intuitively like integral to what I do for my blog. Um, and he fortunately for me is very supportive of Caramelized. So um, it's, it's so interesting, always and exciting to work with him on projects that are bettering our community. So to me, selfishly, like that's, I get a lot out of that and seeing the good we can do for our civic assets and neighborhoods and all the things. So it makes me love Memphis more just to. Well, a dish a little bit. What what are some of the signature projects you've worked on? I would say, looking back, the opening of Big River Crossing was an amazing day. Were you there? I was. I was not there. I. Uh, it's a long. It's a long story. Well, you, you would have been there. The the mayor went, and I had to do other things. So that's and that. That makes sense. No, it, it was. It was a beautiful day, and to see and be behind the scenes of building this idea that was wild um, and make it the most iconic tourism attraction. And the morning of, you know, logistically setting up a press conference to take place at Church on the River and then for one to be going on simultaneously in West Memphis and then to coordinate for the dignitaries to meet in the middle of the bridge, it worked. It was so exciting. Um, and then I, you know, remember that day, River Arts Fest was going on at the same time. St. Jude Ride and River um, Tomley Park was going on at the same time. So there was just this really beautiful environment, you know, buzz of the day. So to be a, a downtown Memphian that day, I was really excited. Yeah, it's a great amenity for the, for the city and uh, I think it's one of those things that people knew at the time that it was big, but I don't think they really understood how how big it was for the city. I I, I think I, I run into people all the time when I travel. Uh, I'll run into people that say, "Oh man, I, I they don't know the name of it, but they say, you know, I, I I walked across the bridge across the river, and that how powerful that is to see the river flowing, uh, you know, beneath you. And uh, I think it's one of those things. Ten or twenty years from now, we're going to look back as uh, a major milestone in Memphis history. Absolutely. And it's been, it's becoming even more of a connector now that biking and now that we're spending a lot more time outside, um, it's, it's very much valued and it's fun to be, you know, the Facebook admin and seeing how many check-ins there are from people all up from all over the world, taking their selfies at the mile marker. That was a last minute idea we installed right before the opening and it's such a great photo op. Now that's uh, that is great. In fact, I, uh, I'm licensed to practice in both Arkansas and Tennessee and I did a video. Um, that's great. I'm standing at that, you know, that, that mile state marker. Line. 
That's perfect. And looking out. In fact, the uh, the day of the shoot, uh, it was uh, it was really foggy, and we walked out there, and you could not see three three inches past the the railing uh, oh, because wow. it was so foggy. And um, we ended up leaving and coming back uh, later in the afternoon. But it uh, it's one of the most talked about videos I, I have because again, it's just not a perspective you get to to see very often. Exactly. That's a creative move. I like that. So, um, so it wouldn't be 2020 if we didn't talk about pandemics and quarantines. And uh, from your perspective, what's been the most uh, innovative uh, and obstacle, obstacle overcoming thing you've seen somebody do um, business-wise uh, you know, through your work uh, this year? Wow. Well, I'll call out a client because I'm excited by it. Um, Explore Bike Share, when the stay-at-home order was called in March, um, asked for funding to make Bike Share free from March 15th to May 15th. And we had to put out messaging that reminded people that while it's a stay a safer at home order, you still can social distance solo outside and get fresh air. And the numbers were beyond all of our expectations in terms of rideability and it was year over year, a better year than before. And I think since people are now adopt, adapting to outdoor exercise and recreation. So that was something exciting for me to see locally um, that people could get behind and use and appreciate. Um, I would say just personally, the efficiencies we found have been so fascinating um, to work smarter and really um, execute in a way that while we absolutely could have done it before, um, we're rolling our sleeves up and we're doing things differently, um, but still seeing positive results. Um, and that is exciting, though obviously the pandemic has impacted everyone in a variety of ways. How has it affected the, the blog at all? It's an interesting question. Um, I, what I had listened to blogger podcasts and in March, everyone was talking about doomsday and everyone cutting their revenues, um, or I'm sorry, their budgets. Um, I did not feel that fortunately. I think that it's a testament to having annual partnerships. So rather than just one off here, I'll promote this thing. Um, I think that many of my followers could name like the 10 partners I work with each year and those partners find it still valuable to be recognized through my my platform so grateful to say that my year was not negatively impacted and honestly engagement has never been higher because of everyone being at home and being on their phones all day so yeah, it's I, a um, sticky but because I, I found that w what we did we uh we spent more on Facebook advertising and social media for that very reason. We figured everybody's at home. And um, I, I found there are two kinds of businesses out there and it doesn't matter what the industry is. 
They're people that saw this as an opportunity to innovate uh, and grow their business and those that saw it as an opportunity um, to hunker down and wait for the storm to pass. And I think the former rather than the latter are gonna be uh, stronger next year when it all comes back. Completely agree. And that's been me and Doug's, I mean, we say it every week. Um, and while we're not trying to be overly optimistic or ignorant of the current realities, seeing this as an opportunity, just that shift in, in thinking can, I think, create much more value at the end of this. So what, uh, Carol, what's your, what, what you got going on uh, outside of work? Do you have any pets? Do you have any hobbies? What, do you, what, what, what can you tell us about Kara Greenstein that we don't already know? Well, I will admit that I share so much on my Instagram that maybe everyone will know everything. But no, my husband, Alex, and I, we have two dogs, the second of which joined our family during the pandemic. We were one of those who thought, oh, why not? Because we're home and over our heads. But we have two great dogs named Sawyer and Finn, and they're fun. What kind of dogs? They're sheepadoodles. So they are English sheepdog poodle mixes. They look like English sheepdogs, but they don't shed. It's pretty uh, awesome. One of the great innovations of crossbreeding is the, it, is the whatever doodle with that doesn't shed. Right. It, it was a mandatory for me. I didn't grow up with pets and it was Alex's number one. As soon as we got married, that's what he, he would get. <laughs> but no, we've had fun with them downtown. We wish we had a yard, but right now being downtown is outweighs that so all right so how how what size animal are we talking about well that's a good question because we got Sawyer and Finn from the same breeder but Sawyer came first as a standard size so he's 70 pounds and then when we came back to her this I guess it was summer wanting another she was only breeding minis so I think it's a good thing but Finn is essentially half the size and it's adorable so okay all right I have some friends that have um standard poodles yes one is a royal standard poodle and the other is, is a standard standard poodle and uh the uh, the royal one is about 40 percent bigger and um you know people don't sometimes pe because of the name uh poodle it sounds like it's a wimpy dog but it is not a wimpy dog oh I bet not uh, so, uh, of course they have a, they have a yard. I wouldn't, I would not, uh, recommend the Royal Poodle for, uh, uh, apartment living. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not ideal on cold rainy days, but on beautiful days like today, we love walking the dogs down the bluff and we're right in the South main area. So there's a lot of fun construction. One Beal's almost done and is looking beautiful. So we enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, it's good that that be nice when that whole area of the world is is done. Uh, Tomley Park is uh, uh, finished. Um, it oh, uh, yeah. really going to transform that whole area of town. I think we're really excited. I mean, we live very close to my office, which is on Hewling, and it's going to become one of the main entrances to the new Tomley Park. And that is like Doug feels like he won the jackpot, so it's exciting. Well, very good. Well, what's next for uh, for you? 
That's a good question. Um, I am taking it. I don't want to say like I'm not goal setting, but as proven through the ever evolving experiment of a blog, I don't want to necessarily prescribe what is next because I don't know the next platform. But for now, I'm really spending my time focusing on cultivating the brand of Caramelize as a whole um, and growing awareness of it. So when a moment comes, maybe it's a book, maybe it's an in-person experience, it will make sense. All right. Well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, what kind of advice is, well, we'll, we'll end on this note. What kind of advice would you give um, a young girl getting out of uh, high school, going off to college, uh, whether it's UT or someplace else, who thinks maybe, you know, I kind of like uh, writing. I might be interested in a blog. What kind of advice would you give her on how to make her way in your career in 2020? That is a good question to end on. Um, I'd say twofold my advice. So I think I tell people that if I didn't have the blog project for a class first, I probably would have spent too much time debating on whether I should publish a blog and start. So my advice is to just start, obviously have an idea in mind and a theme, but when it comes to creating a brand, you have to get it started. Not every brand's gonna be picture perfect, ready for the press um, on day one, and that's okay. So think in startup mode and just get started. And it, honestly, it's like a portfolio at the same time when you can show your skills. Um, but then generally speaking, my advice is to be proactive it goes so far and while it should be the standard, it's not. And I think if you're proactive and in seeking out internships, like, um, you know, in Austin, working for a startup and a blog was so eye-opening and taught me way more than a textbook would or just following people on social media. So proactively reaching out and showing real interest will do you well. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're just about out of time. Uh, Kara, I really appreciate uh, talking with you and, and meeting you. And uh, maybe when uh, the pandemic is lifted and, uh, and so forth, uh, we can get together and, and have a cup of coffee and continue this conversation. Uh, maybe you'll come back on the, the podcast again, but I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat with us. Well, thank you again for having me. This has been a joy. And um, yeah, I look forward to that coffee. We have a lot of places around here to try. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, th that's all for this uh, episode of Ask Alan. Uh, I'm Alan Crone. If you've enjoyed uh, this uh, podcast, and, and who are you kidding? This has been a great podcast. Of course you enjoyed it. Please share it uh, on social media. Email it to your friends. Um, like us on Facebook and all those social media platforms. Go visit uh, Caramelized and um, uh, check that out and like it and share it all over the place. And uh, we'll, we'll see everybody around town.